Welcome to Game of Books with Kathy in South Dakota. That's me. And Christy in South Florida. That's me. We're two newbie writers sharing our take on wine, food, and mystery books. And the authors who write them. Join us for the fun. Welcome to the Game of Books podcast, Corks and Conversation with Taylor Stevens. Last week, we featured her book, Liar's Legacy, on our book club episode, and now we are excited to talk with Taylor Stevens herself. Okay, so first, let me tell everyone a little bit about her. Uh, Taylor Stevens is the award-winning New York Times bestselling author of the critically acclaimed Vanessa Michael Monroe series. Uh, She's published in over 20 languages. Um, Her work has been optioned for film by James Cameron's production company, uh, which is Lightstorm Entertainment. Cool. Um, Her books, I know, very impressive. Uh, Her books are international boots-on-the-ground thrillers featuring a mercenary information hunter, which I love that description. (laughs) This is also good. And a non-testosterone mix of Jason Bourne <laughs> and Jack Reacher. This is like, that's just also such a great description. Um, Stevens came to writing fiction later in life. Uh, interestingly, she was born into an apocalyptic cult, raised in communes across the globe. And because of this, she was denied uh, a traditional education beyond sixth grade and instead spent her adolescence as a child laborer. Uh, She now calls Dallas home, and in addition to writing novels, she shares extensively about the mechanics of storytelling, writing, overcoming adversity, and her journey into publishing on her website and her podcast, The Taylor Stevens Show. Yay. Taylor, after all that, we are so happy you're available to talk with us today. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, so before we get into the conversation, Christy, why don't you tell everyone what, we're, what wine we're each drinking today? Okay, sure. I can do that. So we're drinking the Dark Horse Big Red Blend, which is described as a bold, juicy red that plays extremely well with others. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Taylor, you said you liked a Malbec, and this wine says they are perfecting the blend of a Spanish Tempranillo, Chilean Cab, and an Argentinian Malbec. So, hopefully, Perfect. you like it. And um, so, you guys go ahead and have a taste and see if you taste the complex layers of smooth acidity, dark berries, and warm vanilla flavors. And according mm. to their website, It's tough to come up with a food our Gateway Red doesn't like. It's the perfect splash (laughs) at a smoky backyard barbecue, and it adds incredible flavors to everyday occasions like dinner and nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) Everyday occasions. Yeah, and now now it's adding into podcasting with with Taylor Stevens. So there you go. So what do you guys think of the wine? We should should have them add that to their description. Yeah. Okay, I have to have a drink. Okay. Yum. I like red wines. Very nice. What do you think, Taylor? I I think it's good. I'm not really much of a red wine drinker. I wanted to try. Um, this was an opportunity for me to try something new. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty good. It 
My my biggest hesitation with reds is when they get too dry, the tannins. I, it's too much for me. I just don't really like it. But mm -hmm. this isn't, it's not overwhelming. And it's got that fruity taste to it. And I like that. Yeah, it's kind of smooth. Yeah. I like that little vanilla taste too. I don't know. I like it. I agree. Perfect selection for our conversation today, yes. which I'm so excited about. So let's yes. get to it. Okay. Okay. So Taylor... In Liar's Legacy, you give us such a great world of um, a great view of the world of espionage, which I love in novels. Um, the details of Jack and Jill's skills are fascinating, and I was really curious about the research that you did to get all that down. Unless you're just a spy on the side, we're just wondering. <laughs> yeah, that's just totally based on my life. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well. Research for me has always been a case of finding a way to write about a subject so that the experts who really, really know the subject aren't going to laugh their butts off over it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, That's good. So a good goal. <laughs> it, it's not so much trying to write a primer or a how-to or get into the weeds on it. It's trying to cover all the bases so that this is realistic enough that it could be plausible and passable in the real world. And research for my books is, it's really important because I write such over-the-top characters. Mm -hmm. So it's the research, the the detail, the technical accuracy of it that keeps, them, keeps the stories grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can't say that I necessarily go out and you know, become a student of a subject and then exhaust that and then decide to write about it. It's more that, you know, in the course of just living and reading, I, I read a lot of news pretty voraciously and uh, certain subjects fascinate me. And so I tend to follow those rabbit trails down to wherever <laughs> they go until it finally just boggles my brain and I'm like okay I've reached I've reached the level where I just know enough to be terrified um <laughs> and so it's it's already kind of there in the background percolating and so then when it's time to write these scenes I already have a sense of what is possible or feasible and so then I'll specifically hone in on that right there and that specific thing to make sure that I'm not just making it up completely to the point of being ludicrous right <laughs> so it's kind of a two-stage thing where i already know a lot just from a, mm -hmm. a basic general level but then when it comes time to actually pull on it i have to do a second set of researching just to make sure i haven't gone completely off into the field <laughs> right <laughs> your imagination can be a lot stronger than than you know the actual facts but it seems like these seem really <laughs> realistic, but it's like, wow, I never thought that they could, you know, get away with like the t different techniques they used. You know, it was really that was a little scary, too, because then you're thinking, wow, you can get away with a lot, <laughs> I think, if you can read. But, you know, it's really interesting just not to go too into the weeds on this is that um, the world is changing to the point that this type of espionage with the CIA is almost becoming impossible mm -hmm. because technology has developed so much and, and the repository of digital information is so easy to access that with facial recognition and everything like that, 
even professional spies really are being hampered in their um, ability to cross borders, collect information, interact as more than one person. So their covers get blown really easy mm. because it's so easy for for the algorithms to go, oh, wait, 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 you say this, but we're showing that you were actually in, you know, Antigua seven right. months ago talking to this other person over there. And it's 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 a whole new world of for for spycraft. Mm. Interesting. I think that's true with a lot of things. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it makes it harder to write things, too, because, you know, the technology is always changing. And you're thinking, oh, this is really cutting edge. And then the next by the time the book comes out, it's yes. <laughs> you're like, all right, so that's news. when you try and you try and avoid going to too into too many specifics. But it's the same in discussing geopolitical situations as well. You know, mm -hmm. you could be writing yeah. something that is is leading edge. And then right before your book gets published, something in the world changes and now it's old news you know right. it's like nope it's not like yeah. that anymore <laughs> no so um you kind of yeah. did mention you know with your researching but we were wondering a little bit about your writing process as far as do you have like a set schedule or a place where you write or a number of words a day i mean how do you approach getting make sure and you you getting all get all these books out you know it, it's changed a lot. And unfortunately, and sometimes I'm just a victim of circumstance. You know, I'm, I'm a full-time mom um, in the primary breadwinner. And it's, it's quite challenging to juggle all of that uh, as one person. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where I, I just you can't do it all. And so although my nature is one in which I do have a set schedule and I have set specific days that I work and I have, you know, word count goals and all these things, uh, life has a tendency to uh, be disagreeable. Right. <laughs> in, in that regard. <laughs> we know and, that. And so it, it just kind of becomes a situation of just <laughs> trying to fight for the time to write, fight for the days of non-interruption. I'm I'm very ADHD and even <laughs> uh, medicated. It's very it's it's an enormous challenge for me to focus. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that you know just coming someone coming in and asking me a question can ruin the next hour and a half of work oh, because it takes mm -hmm. so long and it's such challenge for me to pull myself into that. And so, you know, my best writing will always come when I have multiple days of uninterrupted work mm -hmm. where I can yeah. just do what I need to do. And if I have a day where I'm having to run errands and then I have a little bit of time to work and then I have to go, oh, I have to take care of this thing for this kid over there and and then a little time to work. I can put in the hours, but I'm not going to have the productivity. And it's right. incredibly frustrating. And I, and I know that there are authors out there who can work anywhere and, and right. do anything. Yeah. And, and I'm just so envious of them. But that's it's never been like that for me. So it's been it's been hard to, to make it work. Well, mm -hmm. And like you say, if you if you really perform best with uninterrupted time, and then you also say that you're a full time mom at the same time, those two things just clash, right? By their very nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. being a full-time mom <laughs> is the definition of being interrupted, right? <laughs> yes. So that sounds challenging. Yeah. Well, I am I'm fascinated and so impressed by your, your background and everything that you had to teach yourself to get to this point. Um, I'm very curious about how you um, 
or what you share with people about overcoming obstacles and fears? You know, do you have a mantra or do you have a, you know, if someone says, gosh, can you give me some advice about, you know, how to overcome huge obstacles like you have in the past? What would you tell them? Well, it, you know, it, it almost sounds a bit pretentious to try and say that you can tell someone what they should do because everybody's mm. lives are different and their obstacles are mm -hmm. different. And I can only say what I did. Mm -hmm. And and that is that it's just been consistency. It's feel the fear and do it anyway. I didn't coin that phrase, but I don't know where it came from. And um and and to just put in the hours religiously and and just keep at it and to not quit because you know there are so many people who start writing mm -hmm. but very few who finish. That's so and true. Just by the nature of finishing, just that alone already separates you from such a large percentage of people who say they want to do something but then never actually do it. And when I mm. first started writing, it wasn't even a case of, oh, I want to get published. I didn't know enough. I was still really, really rather new out into the world in terms of knowledge and understanding how life worked. And at the time, I didn't even have a sense of genre. I didn't have authors that I admired or that I liked to read their work. I had a couple that I, I kind of sort of figured out that, oh, these people write exciting books that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. But so for me, it wasn't really a case of, oh, I have this dream of being a writer and I'm going to get published. It was a case of taking ownership over what had been taken from me. I was a stay-at-home mom. We were so broke. I was married at the time. We were so broke and just trying to make our way in life. And growing up, I'd always had a fairly vivid imagination. It was a way of self-preservation in a very, very boring environment that it was an abusive environment. But because we spent so much time doing manual labor, uh, washing dishes and washing laundry, and it was boring. And we mm -hmm. didn't have other forms of entertainment. We couldn't listen to music from the outside or read books from the outside. And movies were very strictly controlled. And so all I had was my mind. And at some point, I think it was about 13 or so, I started telling, making up stories and telling them to the other kids as sort of a, I became the de facto entertainment. Mm -hmm. And then at 14 and 15, I started writing them down and um, they got discovered. the books that I was writing got discovered and they were just notebooks um, and they were burned and I was accused Ugh. of being a witch and inviting devils in and oh it was a God. really big deal, uh, exorcisms and um, ostracized, not allowed to be around any of my peers, lest I infect them with my witchy ways and... Oh my um, gosh. So that was my experience with writing fiction was like, it's a bad, bad thing. And so when I was out and I'm an adult and I'm home alone with the kids and I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, I don't have any education, I don't have any experience. It, it was a case of, well, I don't want to go to my grave with regrets. I mm -hmm. have the time right now to do this. I'm going to write a book. But it wasn't a case of, like I said, it wasn't to get published. It was just to say that I did it. Right. It was sort of like mm. putting two middle fingers in the air and saying, 
I'm going to do this no matter what you said. And that was The Informationist. That was my first book, which went on to become a New York Times bestseller and is the one that got published in the most languages and which is optioned for film by James Cameron. And granted, it wasn't like I just sat, sat down and cranked out this thing. I did not know what I was doing. Um, I was literate, but not... But there's a really big difference between being literate and having any experience with story or craft. And, and so I had to learn. It was a learning process. And I learned mm -hmm. while writing that book. Um, and, and I've continued to learn as the years progress. So my, my writing habits, my knowledge and understanding of story, it's all changed over the years as I learn and mm -hmm. grow. Right. And we can totally understand that. Kathy and I are both relatively new writers and, um, and we've just gone on this great journey and that that's led us to actually talking with you because we're just trying to figure out what's going on and we take the classes and that's why you know your um your website and podcast are really good too for for people like us so what do you think oh, kathy man, are sure. we ready for the mid-break question in the, the bottle <laughs> yes okay so taylor we around this time we always like to take a little break and ask our authors what we call the question in the bottle and these are kind of questions mostly fun questions we hope or all questions that are fun um questions that would come up when maybe you get towards the bottom of a bottle if you're enjoying a bottle of wine um so we'll pick a random question and if you don't like it we'll pass and we can always try another okay all right let's see what we got today all right <laughs> So the question is, what did you reward yourself with after you got your first paycheck for writing? Oh, I think I went and bought my kids a bunk bed, like new <laughs> furniture. <laughs> I mean, oh, no. at first, at first, I, I couldn't really splurge because right. like I was so broke and it takes a while for you to start seeing the money. It takes yeah. a long while, yeah. and and I didn't have a I didn't have another job. It was my only income, so like I had to be super super careful. But once that ended, and the money like started being like, oh my god, breathing room money. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure it was it was furniture for my kids, and um, oh, I I don't know. I'm not a big spender. So, but I I don't think I think I bought myself a pair of earrings. Like that oh, was there my, you go. my <laughs> for myself. Like, oh, these are really pretty. I, and I don't know if I'll ever wear them, but I really like them, so I'm going to buy them. Well, that's And good. now you have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great That's a great answer. I also like the bunk beds because I bet yeah. the kids were thrilled. I just can My daughter's wanted bunk beds for the longest time. <laughs> All right, so on to some more questions. Um, can you give us a picture of what you went through in order to get your first book published? Because um, mm. we're always curious about that, and obviously you you were in a learning mode yourself. So what? How did you get that agent and that book published? Being very broke and also being uh, home with my kids. Uh, I didn't really have much opportunity to do what a lot of people say, which is to go to conferences or, you know, try and meet with agents or anything like that. I was, everything I had to do was going to be from my home. And I also didn't have the money to be sending out full manuscripts 
the postage and the printing and everything to agents who would be interested. And this was 2008, I believe. Um, And so it might have even been a little earlier than that. It was 2000, end of 2007, because I I did get my agent at the beginning of 2008. Mm -hmm. And so um, back then, the internet wasn't as much of a thing for the publishing industry as it is right now. Mm -hmm. So I had done a lot of research as I was um, procrastinating, which I'm a very good procrastinator. (laughs) Aren't we all? Um, I would read. That is a (laughs) skill. By the time I... (laughs) I know, it's totally a worthwhile life skill. Um, By the time I'd gotten like maybe three quarters of the way finished with the informationist, I I realized I had something here. Like there was a a here here and it might be Mm -hmm. worthwhile looking into what to do with it. And so I, I spent a lot of time researching the publishing industry, trying to get a sense of how it worked and what, what happened to make a book happen, which is when I learned about agents and querying. And and I read as much as I could about that process and um, realized that I was setting myself up for a lot of rejection, which Mm -hmm. I love rejection. I love rejection more than just about (laughs) anything in the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, awesome. But you know, I figured I'd I'd already got I'd already done the work, so I was just going to be standing in my own way, and I didn't have anything to lose because I hadn't gone into this thinking I was going to get it published in the first place. So I I made a I kind of made a deal with myself that I would make a list of you know maybe as many agents as I could could find that I felt would be a good fit. And until I got a hundred rejections, I was not even supposed to feel like my goal was to get a hundred rejections. That way, even <laughs> oh if I goodness. failed, I succeeded. <laughs> what a, what a and, great um, way to approach it. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, it was a lot of lying to myself to, to try and pull that <laughs> off. But, uh, and so I, I would look, I would do like searches for agents and, Anytime I found an agent's name, then I would research them and find out, like, which agency did they work for? And it was a lot harder back then. Now agents are everywhere online. You mm-hmm. can't you can't hardly, you know, three how many degrees of separation from somebody you know to you're bumping into agent recommendations. But back then it was a lot harder. And so and it was also harder to sift through who were legitimate agents and who were scammers. Mm-hmm. Um because mm-hmm. it was there was just not a lot out there at the time and so I started making my list and made sure that I was looking for agents who a were accepting new clients is kind of important mm-hmm. and b that they were willing to accept queries through email and that so I wasn't going to have to um be mailing off a bazillion um wasted tomes of mm-hmm. reams of paper and I was looking for uh, obviously agents who were representing my genre and who were um open to cold call like the equivalent of cold calling like some agents are referral only you know right. they've, they've mm-hmm. gotten to that stage so i i was like eliminating people that i didn't want to be annoying in their inbox i didn't want to be spam mm-hmm. hey we had spam even now all that way back <laughs> um <laughs> and so i just kind of started making a list and and some of the earliest ones that i contacted they were not legitimate, but it took 
getting the responses to figure that out and how they responded, which was go to this website and, you know, fill out this questionnaire. Some money. Yeah, then you're yeah. like, mm, yeah. Um, and so the query letter was really hard. It, it's sometimes I tell people sometimes writing a query letter is harder than writing a book mm-hmm. because you have mm-hmm. such a small amount of space to communicate what it is that you're trying to communicate and trying to effectively Stand summarize out, right? the, well, well, to summarize a hundred thousand words oh, yeah. of a very complex story in a way that sounds unique and they haven't heard it a bazillion times before, mm-hmm. it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. as the author, it's really, you know, when you write these um, inter- entwined plot, it's really hard to figure out what's worth mentioning and what's not worth mentioning. Cause mm-hmm. you're just, you're not trying to give them the whole thing. You're just trying to get their attention that, Hey, I can write a coherent sentence and here's a story you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I, I, knew at the time like they told me don't do gimmicky stuff whatever but i i found that the easiest way to convey this character was through her own voice mm-hmm. and so i ended up with two different query letters one that had the voice of the character and one that was just you know third person talking about the story and so i would send it out to five agents wait two weeks send the next one out to five agents wait two weeks send the first one out to five agents wait two weeks and I just kind of bounced back and forth and by the time I had I don't know sent it out to maybe 20 20 agents including the not legitimate ones I started to get replies back requesting partials requesting fulls Mm -hmm. and then I I got I already like within those first 20 25 agents I had two offers of representation Wow, so it nice. was um, it was not what I was expecting. I know you didn't make your goal. But <laughs> no, I failed. I failed miserably. <laughs> you failed at your rejections. <laughs> okay, I'm curious which because. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask which query do you think worked better? The one in your well, character's got, voice. I got one from each. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So it seemed to not even make that much of a difference overall. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that that was just the start of it, and then like that that happened right before the economy tanked, and then my agent pulled it off mm. the market because she didn't want to risk tanking a a solid debut just because publishing was in turmoil, and that mm-hmm. extended things by another year. In the meantime, I got divorced, and it was just it, I was at my Ugh. lowest, lowest, lowest possible point when I got the news that the informationist had sold and it, it changed my life. I mean, wow. it, it gave me options. It gave me hope. It gave me the idea that maybe I could find a way to survive and provide for my children. And it was, it was more than just selling a book. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, yeah. it was a career that two hours earlier didn't even seem like I had forgotten about it. Like I, I didn't even remember that my, my agent might've told me that she was taking it back out on submission, but I'd get, you know, I'd written it off. I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to survive. And so when I got the news, it was just absolutely shocking to me because it was not anywhere on my radar of possibilities. Wow. And and it just, it changed everything. I got goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah, me too. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, 
Taylor, I I am I'm one of the I'm sure many subscribers to your newsletter from your website. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy the newsletters that you send out and um in in a recent one you talked about the difference between goals and dreams. And I thought that was such a great conversation to have um with your readers. Um, especially this time of year, it's a perfect time to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so could you tell our listeners about how you approached the difference between goals and dreams? Well, first, a confession. <laughs> everything <laughs> everything that goes out in my newsletter goes out on a clock because I put so much time and energy into writing those pieces that it never has made sense for me that I write them and then somebody finds me two years later and they never, they never get that. Right. Mm -hmm. So anything that I've invested that time, it just goes on a clock. So you might be getting that this week. Somebody else might've gotten it two years ago. I can tell you right now, I probably wrote that six years ago. So it's not real fresh in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll just, (laughs) I'll re I'll refresh you that you had just said that, you know, there's a difference between goals, which is I'm going to write two hours a day. And dreams, which is I want to have a book published, you know, just the kind of concrete versus the, you know, ethereal ideas. And I, for when right. I received it, it was a great timing because, you know, January <laughs> is a time to reflect and reset. <laughs> and so for me, it was perfect timing. <laughs> so it, it's it's one of, there's a lot of things in life that you don't have any control over. You you mm-hmm. You really literally have no control ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, whether you can get a book published traditionally. Mm-hmm. There's so right. many arbitrary, just random roadblocks mm-hmm. that get in the way. <laughs> you know, It could be mm-hmm. that that week that your manuscript finally shows up on the desk of an editor, another manuscript also shows up that they like just a little bit better. And so they reject yours, not for any fault mm-hmm. of it, but there's this other book that they want more right? Mm -hmm. You have no control over that, which is the long-term dream of getting published. But what you can control are all the steps to take you to where it's even a possibility to have that manuscript on the desk of that editor. And that's where the goals come into play, is breaking it down into tangible things that you can actively do. Mm -hmm. And and putting all the steps into place so that at least you have a shot at the dream. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's Love that's it. yeah. That's yeah. good. We like that. That gives me the shivers. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy, yeah. Yeah. Kathy's Kathy's our organizer there, so she's probably already coming I up love with a spreadsheet about, yeah. and everything. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Um, so we also enjoy your Taylor Stevens show podcast. And um, so, you know, we know how we got started, but we're kind of curious on how you got started and um, what you feel like the upside is for you and any like challenges you have. So there would be no Taylor Stevens show podcast if it wasn't for my host, co-host Steve Campbell, who is also a podcaster and an indie writer, and he's very in touch with the indie side of the publishing industry. And Steve and I had done a few um, a few interviews. Like he he got me on his podcast a long time ago. I guess it was shortly after the information is published. 
And we got to talking and we just really, really clicked. Like we had great conversation. He was a fun interviewer because at that time I had, I was doing so many interviews. It just, my brain hurt from it. (laughs) And it was always the same questions over and over. And it often felt like um, formulaic, like Mm -hmm. even maybe Mm -hmm. the interviewers hadn't even read the book, but you know, they'd been assigned with this and what have you. And Mm. so it was because I'm not a a traditional author in the sense that I didn't get to this the way that people usually expect authors to get to it. A lot of the questions are really frustrating because you could tell they didn't have any clue about my background Mm. or about. And so trying to answer these questions that I didn't have answers to, who were your greatest childhood literary heroes <laughs> oh gosh are, you know and just like oh you know trust me your favorite trust you know, me even whatever author even I would have trouble with that and I didn't have the same background as you those are hard <laughs> and, and Steve was so different you know it's like mm-hmm. you could tell he was approaching this as a reader who genuinely loved the stories and also as an aspiring author and So we ended up doing, I ended up doing a few more interviews with him over the years and we became friends and we would connect every once in a while over Skype. And eventually he asked me, you know, well, have you thought about doing your own podcast? And this was 2000, late 2014, early 2015, right before my fifth book, The Mask was about to come out. And I, I'm like, oh God, no. And at first I thought he was talking about doing another (laughs) interview on one of his, on one of his shows. And, and I was like, sure, you know, let's just schedule a time. He's like, no, no, no. I mean, your own podcast. And I just groaned. I was like, oh my God, I'm never, I know I, I don't have the time for this and, you know, to figure it out. And he's like, well, what if, what if I did all the technical stuff? I helped you record yourself. I processed the audio files for you. And I was like, well, could we do it the same way we do interviews when I'm on your show where you just like, we ask questions and whatever. He's like, well, do you want that? And I was like, yes, if you will do it with me, not for me, like just processing this stuff, but like actually be with me on the podcast and we can just talk together, then yes, I will do it. Mm-hmm. So it started really as a way to promote the mask with answering research questions and going into detail about that book. And it just kept going. And we've we've changed over the years of what the focus is. We used to talk a lot more about publishing related stuff. And now the focus is almost primarily on writing, the specifics, the mechanics of writing. Mm-hmm. And because I come to this backwards like I had to teach myself this Mm -hmm. I'm like so many of my listeners they don't have the big formal education of you know they're not journalists they're not English teachers they're not Mm -hmm. you know people who've had years immersed in the English language they are your average everyday person who wants to write fiction Mm -hmm. and who doesn't always get the the nuances like the the complicated real heady stuff you know right. and i'm like perfect for that because i'm like let me teach you how to do it backwards <laughs> let me let me explain it let me break it down for you in a non-writerly sort of way this is why this works here's the psychology for this and i'm basically just teaching everything that i've taught myself mm-hmm. in a what i feel is a unique 
wait, nobody else is doing it that way. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is nobody else has learned how to do it the right. same way that I had have. So it, it provides, um, I would like to think a certain value that very few other writing instructors can offer. Yes, and so definitely. that's where the joy of it comes from is being able to, to teach, to provide information that I know is unique. There's really not a lot else out there that does what I'm doing. And, and that's, that's what's fun about it. Yep. So a lot mm. of our listeners are wow. in that boat. So definitely listen to Taylor Stevens podcast because oh, she's, for sure. she's got good wow. information for us. And if, if you're one of somebody who likes to binge, then you've got five years worth of <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Taylor, we are so happy you could join us today. Christy, I know you have one more question for oh, her. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, before we go, we have one final question that we ask um, all our authors, and it kind of appeases our mysterious foodies, our listeners out there. And the question is, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I, I can't. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't. I, that's funny. I, I love it. I've I've put so much into every one of my characters that that it's like I can't pick one above the other oh. and then oh. I don't even know that I could enjoy a conversation with them because they'd probably scare the bejesus right? out of me. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say you'd have to be in a secure location. Right. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. so true. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, if our listeners have any more questions or want to find more information about you, Taylor, how should they reach out? Well, um, there are several ways. Uh, I'm, I do respond to email, but slowly. It takes me a long time, so expect a delay. But my email address is contact at Taylor Stevens with an S, books with an S dot com. Um, my website is sorely outdated. I apologize. But there is a lot of information on there. Um, my, I'm also, I also have a private Facebook group that um, you have to answer questions to be able to get in. It's, it's small and cozy deliberately, and it's sort of a safe space. Like we, we stay, we keep politics out. It's mostly a, a shared joy of reading. Um, I'll put stuff there that I don't feel like putting into the private domain. I mean, the public domain mm -hmm. is a little more private. Um, hmm. And it's just a way to interact with other people who enjoy reading and, and maybe enjoy some of the same hobbies that you do because we talk about our pets, we talk about hobbies. It's just a, a really cozy crowd of all assorted cool. ages and, you know, multiple, you know, men and women. It's, it's not just a knitting group or anything like that. Um, <laughs> and then I also, I also have a Patreon account where I put the most uh, private stuff like things that uh, updates that I'm not ready to tell the world and uh, share stuff with or even it's also for people who just want to keep me writing um, or, or enjoy my podcasts and want to show that support in a tangible way um, I try and tell people that you know a three dollar a month pledge does far more for me than buying one of my books that comes out once a year mm -hmm. I of course appreciate and I need the sales for my books but most of that goes to my publisher. 
a $3 pledge has an enormous impact on me being able to provide quality without worrying about, oh my God, you know, writing the next thing to try and pay the bills or whatever. Right. So those are the, the primary ways is email, Facebook, in that group specifically. I don't do a lot elsewhere and, and on Patreon. And my Patreon account is patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So check those out. And thanks again to our best-selling author, Taylor Stevens. And if you haven't read her latest book, Liar's Legacy, you can go out and get that. It's quite the international thriller. And um, you can listen to our last episode for book club ideas to go along with it. And of course, check out Taylor's podcast, The Taylor Stevens Show. And now let's have a toast to a fun talk with Taylor Stevens. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to our mysterious foodies out there for listening and sharing. Check out our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, where you can find links to all we talk about. And if you subscribe to our weekly newsletter, you can get those links sent directly to you along with any exciting updates. We are also on Facebook and Twitter under at GOB Writers. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, we would love to hear from you. And please subscribe to Game of Books wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of our book club ideas and quirks and conversations with award-winning and best-selling authors. That's all for today's episode of Game of Books Podcast, where we share food, wine, and mystery every Friday morning, just in time for the weekend. This is Christy and Kathy saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.